It is the spring of 1966 in steamy San Antonio, Texas. Two men with booming voices are talking business over whiskey at the bar of the St. Anthony Hotel. 35-year-old Rollin King pushes his glass forward. I'll have another scotch. Rocks. King runs an investment company and he's drinking with Herb Kelleher, whose law firm represents King's business interests. Kelleher taps his glass. Another wild turkey. Rocks for me, please. Both men are tall and athletic and transplants to Texas. King gets to the point. Herb, I want to talk to you about this airline idea we discussed the other day. Ah, come on, Bill, let's not. You've already gotten creamed in the airline business. Three years earlier, King bought Wild Goose Flying Service and rebranded it Southwest Airlines. The charter service shuttled San Antonio businessmen around the state. But it failed, and King is salvaging what he can. After I ditch those beachcrafts, I want to build an all-jet service operation that'll compete with Braniff and Texas International and American Airlines. Keller's used to King's oddball business ideas, but this one tops them all. Those fellas might give you a stake on board, but their flights are canceled half the time, and the other half, they lose your bag. But what if we build an airline that'll be just for three cities, San Antonio, Dallas, and Houston? Forget the stakes, we'll be no frills. We'll win on price, convenience, and service. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Rollin, the regulators will never allow it. Air travel in 1967 is in its golden age. Madmen wear their best business outfits and sit in big, comfortable seats as smiling stewardesses serve plates of prime rib and refresh their highballs. Airlines can offer all this thanks to the Civil Aeronautics Board. The federal agency controls everything, where and what they can fly and what they can charge for everything from a mixed drink to a seat. Most importantly, it allows airlines to charge very high fares. But King might have found a loophole. There's this outfit, Pacific Southwest Airlines. They only fly intrastate, only within the boundaries of California. That means that the feds have no jurisdiction over them. We can do that here in Texas, too. But if we're going to get this thing off the ground, I need you on board, Herb. You're connected. What he means is that Keller's wife is connected. She's from one of the biggest landowning families in all of Texas. And that's saying something. Rollin, Braniff and the others will flatten you. And how am I supposed to sell this to a bunch of people who know their way around money? Well, Herb, you're my lawyer, so you figure it out. Kelleher gulps the last of his drink. As he walks away, he's thinking, no way this airline is ever going to fly. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. 
It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S., and Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In our six-part series, Southwest versus American Airlines, we'll look at how the bruising dogfight between the more established airlines and the scrappy upstart would not only change the way we fly, but send some airlines crashing to their deaths. You are listening to Episode 1, Clearing the Runway. Roland King's phone is ringing. It's just a few days after his meeting with Kelleher and those many glasses of scotch. Kelleher's on the line. Rollin, I've been looking into your airline idea and checking federal and state regulations. And I gotta tell you something. Yeah, Herb, what is it? Rollin, you're crazy. Your airline idea is crazy. Now, let's do it anyway. Kelleher, sober as a judge days after that hazy meeting at the St. Anthony Hotel Bar, is finally convinced that King is right. If a low-cost, low-frills carrier can operate without interference from federal regulators in California, then they can do the same in Texas. And if the fares are cheap enough, Kelleher figures Texans would rather fly than drive long hauls between Texas cities. First, though, Kelleher has to convince some of the state's richest men to invest in Air Southwest. That proves to be easier than expected. The investors agree that there's a need in the Texas market for what he's proposing. They also like the idea of owning a company that flies jets. Plus, everyone really likes Herb, who's always ready with a wisecrack and whiskey. Kelleher starts looking for backers by calling John Murkison, co-founder of the Dallas Cowboys, and an old pal. Hello? Hey, John, it's Herb. Roland King and I have this idea for an airline, sort of a commuter airline for Texas. All jets, all intrastate, no federal interference. Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, with very frequent low fare flights. We're raising money. You interested? Hell yes, Herb. I want in. King and Kelleher bring on some of the biggest names in Texas business. They raise $543,000 and incorporate on March 15, 1967. About a year later, the Texas Aeronautical Board certifies Air Southwest to fly within Texas. But the next day, four major airline competitors launch a legal assault to stop that from happening. Apollo 10 is transmitting the first color pictures of Earth from space before landing on the moon. As protesters occupy the streets, President Nixon pledges to bring back 25,000 troops from Vietnam. A confrontation between gay rights activists and police outside the Stonewall Inn, a gay bar in Greenwich Village, New York City, escalates into a riot. Excuse me, 
And at a farm in Bethel, New York, the Woodstock Music Festival features legendary acts of Santana, the Grateful Dead, Janis Joplin, and Jimi Hendrix. These events help define an era, and they also speak to the mood in the country. People want to throw out the rules and challenge the establishment. In some ways, it's the perfect climate for an upstart like Southwest, if only it can get in the air. It's been grounded for more than a year thanks to the lawsuits brought by Braniff, TransTexas, and Continental. They have plenty to protect, too. Braniff Airlines has a monopoly on flights between the big cities in Texas. Texas International dominates air service between smaller cities, and Continental flies wherever the other two don't. They're all hemmed in by federal regulation, but not Air Southwest. With that advantage, Southwest should be in a position to soar past competitors. That would be a whole lot easier if Southwest actually had some planes to fly. Trouble is, the airline has burned through most of its half a million in seed money fighting lawsuits. King summons his board for a meeting. The mood is glum. John Murkison speaks first. Gentlemen, we fought a good fight. But these other airlines are set on bleeding us to death and we don't have much blood left. Most in the room nod in agreement. Kelleher does not. Listen, everyone, I know this looks bad, but this is a legal battle. I'm convinced we can win on appeal, and we need to win. All we're trying to do is offer Texas superior air transportation at a low price. Kelleher knows he's asking his backers to buck the establishment, to break the airline's grip on Texas. But that's the zeitgeist in America at the time. Our competitors think they can tie us up with lawsuits. That's a perversion of what America's supposed to be about. I want free enterprise to work. I want to win. Now, if you agree to let me keep trying, I'll work for free. I'll pay the court costs right out of my own pocket until we do win. The board votes. Air Southwest will fight. Eighteen long legal months later, Kelleher wins a ruling from the Texas Supreme Court. The bigger carriers appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, but in December 1970, it declines to overturn the Texas ruling. Southwest wins. It's a remarkable legal battle, but it could be a Pyrrhic victory. Southwest has $143 in the bank and owes more than $100,000. Still, it is in business, at least theoretically. They need a team. The recession of the 1970s put a lot of good people out of work, and word is out that Southwest is open for business. By January 1971, Lamar Muse, an airline industry veteran, is president of Air Southwest. Muse puts $50,000 of his own cash into the company and raises more than $2 million. He also renames the company Southwest Airlines. And then the mad dash begins. It's early spring of 1971. Southwest is supposed to launch its first flight within two months. 
A mechanic has just arrived at his new job, having just been laid off, like many early Southwest employees, by bankrupt Purdue Airlines. The mechanic and a team are trying to open the doors at the lone hangar Southwest has leased at Love Field. The company made a strategic decision to operate from a not-so-busy airport just a short drive from downtown Dallas. What in the world? The hangar is a relic from the 1940s. The mechanic is pushing on the doors, but they don't budge. This thing is rusted shut. The tracks are full of sand. It takes two days to pry open the building's 40-foot-tall doors. Meanwhile, another former Purdue Airline employee is having a different kind of problem, training stewardesses. There aren't any. So, Muse runs a print ad aimed at a woman Playboy has been pursuing for years. It's titled, An Open Letter to Raquel Welch. The newspaper ad reads, Ms. Welch, you typify the girls we're looking for. Warm, personable, and great-looking in hot pants. If you know of any other girls like you, at least 20 years old, 20-50 vision without glasses, between 5'2 and 5'7, 100 to 135 pounds, who are high school graduates, preferably with college training, would you please ask them to send us a brief statement of qualifications in a recent photograph? 1,200 applications pour in for just 38 available jobs. On June 15, 1971, Muse meets with a reporter to crow about what they've accomplished. Within just three months, we've bought three planes, leased gates at three airports, contracted with jet fuel and other suppliers, launched an ad campaign, and hired and trained 21 pilots, 42 support personnel, nine ramp agents, and 38 hostesses. But I'm probably forgetting some things. That's impressive, but what are you planning to do about the new restraining order that Braniff has obtained against you? Huh? What restraining order? The one that says you won't be allowed to fly on June 18th? This is breaking news to the Southwest president. He abruptly ends the interview and speeds to Love Field, where Kelleher will be arriving from Washington before flying on to San Antonio. He spots Kelleher in the crowd and rushes to him. Herb, you gotta get to Austin. There's another injunction and we go into service on the 18th. What? I don't even have a change of clothes, Lamar. (sighs) Okay, fine. Need to get a ticket on Braniff to Austin. No, you don't. One of our planes is on the tarmac right now. You get on that. We'll route it to Austin. Get yourself in front of the Supreme Court there and come up with some damn thing to tell them. Okay, Lamar, I'll figure it out. I hope you will, but Herb, if it doesn't work... If the sheriff shows up here on the 18th with some kind of restraining order, what do you recommend we do? Lamar, if the sheriff shows up, you push that first flight out on top of him. Roll right over that son of a bitch and leave tire marks on his back. It's been four years. This has gone on long enough. Just get the damn plane in the air. After a night at the law library, Keller doesn't come up with much legal fodder, so he just reminds the court that they've already ruled in Southwest's favor. That works. Nineteen hours later, the captain and first officer are shaking hands with Dallas's deputy mayor on the tarmac at Love Field. This is all the pomp and circumstance the inaugural flight will see. There are no marching bands, no banners, no champagne corks popping, but also no sheriff. Three flight attendants board the Boeing 737. There are just two paying passengers and one piece of checked luggage in the cargo hold. 
The near-empty plane takes off at 7 a.m. right on time. Southwest Airlines is finally aloft. The owners and crew are ecstatic, but the excitement is short-lived. It won't be long before the airline hits serious turbulence. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's the Sunday after the inaugural flight and Rollin King is in the co-pilot seat for the first morning flight from Love Field to Houston. Over Muse's three-month sprint to get Southwest Airlines operational, King has changed titles to allow Muse more freedom to run the company as he sees fit. King is no longer CEO, but executive vice president of operations and a board member. He's also become certified to co-pilot a 737 and has decided to work on a regular flight crew. King, sitting in the first officer's seat, flips a couple of switches and the Pratt & Whitney engines spin to a roar in the early morning Texas heat. The ground crew guides the plane to the runway. The pilot pushes the throttle forward and the plane speeds ahead. King calls out the pre-flight checklist to the captain. Thrust set, 80 knots. V1, rotate. The flight's in the air. Suddenly, the plane is yanked to the right like a dog on a leash. King shouts, reverse thruster deployed. And it's creating a huge aerodynamic drag on one side of King's plane. It's like having one engine push forward while the other pulls it back. If the thruster can't be closed, the plane can't climb. The pilot contacts the control tower. Mayday, we've got a malfunctioning thruster. Can you please clear a runway? The plane turns back quickly, lands safely, and no one is hurt. The reverse thruster is checked. It was deployed during maintenance the night before, closed manually, and not fully locked in place. It is an inauspicious start. Southwest's director of flight operations, an American Airlines veteran, responds by ramping up all the airline's safety procedures. Just months after King's scare, in August of 1971, Muse, King, and the board meet to vote on a plan to accept delivery of a fourth Boeing 737-200. 
Boeing is giving them a million-dollar break on the plane, as it did with the airline's first three planes. But it's still a big risk for a money-losing air carrier. Muse pushes the long view. We're losing money at this point, but a fourth aircraft at a cost of $4 million will allow us to offer more frequent service between Dallas and Houston. These men are pretty unflappable, but one oil man is shaking his head. We're losing our shirts already, Lamar. We're averaging 17 passengers per flight at $20 per passenger. We need 38 paying customers on each flight to break even. But we can't even do that. And now, you want to buy another plane? Man, it makes no sense. I won't be a party to it. The rest of the board likes the idea of more frequent service and votes in favor of buying the new plane. The oil man quits the board. The fourth plane arrives in October. Southwest's finances immediately go into a tailspin. There just aren't enough passengers to cover the costs of four planes. By April 1972, the situation is dire. Muse comes up with a desperate solution. Southwest can sell one plane to make payroll. It can serve its current schedule with just three planes if it can turn its planes at the gate, meaning unload passengers, then load new passengers and refuel much faster. How fast? 10 minutes. Other airlines, after a whole lot of tinkering, have whittled their turnaround time down to 25 minutes. Everyone is thinking the same thing. It's impossible. Bill Franklin, the airline's gruff 45-year-old vice president of operations, believes it can be done. He explains his plan to an incredulous ground crew. Okay, now our planes will pull up near the gate, but far enough away that they can simply drive away without being pushed by a tug. Instead of gate bridges, passengers will board and deplane using stairs at both the front and the rear of the plane. Departing passengers will be lined up on the tarmac even before the plane arrives. So soon as one group gets off, another one gets on. Bags will be unloaded and reloaded even before all the arriving passengers are off the plane. Tires and systems will be checked while fuel is being added. And as soon as the last new passengers on board, whether they're seated or not, hostesses will close the cabin doors and the plane will taxi. <laughs> Bill, that's insane. There's no way all of that can be done in 10 minutes. Oh, yeah? Well... If you can't turn these planes in 10 minutes, I'm going to fire all of you. Then I'll go out and hire another group of guys. And if they can't do it, I'll fire them too. I'll keep on firing people until I find someone who can do it. This is the only way to save Southwest Airlines. Ladies and gentlemen, Southwest Airlines welcomes you to Houston. We'll be at our gate momentarily. There will be two stairwells today that you'll use to deplane. One is at the front of the aircraft, the other at the rear. There's a moment of confusion among passengers who aren't accustomed to exiting in two directions. Okay, sir, here's your bag. Head right that way. Sandra, I've got to get these seats clean. Can, can you get those seat belts crossed? Captain, can you toss this trash into that bin? Passengers get off in record time, and so do the passengers getting on. Within weeks of nailing the 10-minute turn, Muse checks the stats. Online departures are improving. Its first flight had two passengers. By the end of 1972, 
the airline boards 300,000 passengers. Southwest is finally on a clear path toward profitability. Its rivals see the threat Southwest poses and begin circling the fledgling airline, looking for its weak spot. They know Southwest's reserves are growing, but the company still can't match their war chests. On the next episode, Southwest's competitors try to shoot their new rival out of the sky with rock-bottom fares. Southwest's response? Well, let's just say for a while, Southwest Airlines was fueled by booze. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Business Wars. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. Another way to support us is to answer a short survey at wondery.com survey and tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations you've been hearing. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Joseph Guinto wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Jenny Lauer is our producer. Sound designed by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie. Our program was created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. For over 100 years, General Motors was America's automaker. But after the 2008 financial crisis, the storied car company nearly died. Hi, I'm Lindsey Graham, host of Wondery's show, Business Movers. We tell the true stories of business leaders who risked it all, the critical moments that define their journey, and the ideas that transform the way we live our lives. In our latest series, an HR executive named Mary Barra rises to become General Motors' first female CEO, just in time to save the company from ruin. But as Mary fights to lead General Motors into the future, tragedy strikes. Listen to General Motors Back from the Dead from Business Movers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or the Wondery app. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.